Track, and you're listening to Molly Huddle, Alicia Montano, and Roisin McGettigan-Dumas. We want to highlight the important topics, inspiring stories, and amazing women in sport. We're three Olympians from two countries, two moms, and one current pro coming together to talk about issues we're passionate about in the sports world. And we care about the current and future landscape of women's sports. And this is just how we're keeping track. In today's episode, we talk to 223 marathoner and fellow Ray Tracy coached athlete Emily Sisson. We talk about how she finds the right frame of mind amidst pre-race hype and managing race day anxieties. We talk about her marathon debut and how it could have been derailed, transitioning from a world-class junior athlete to a world-class senior athlete, and embracing her strong-looking body. Thanks for keeping track with us. Hi, ladies. Welcome back to episode seven of Keeping Track. We're here with Roisin and Alicia. Ladies, how was your how was your Thanksgiving? Did you have a good holiday? For me, it was good. I had a nice decompression zone. I had a very, very crazy last like three months. So I just like laid there and put my feet up and it was very nice. However, I felt like a little bit of a blob by the end of it, but very thankful. <laughs> I did. I was really like, like today, we just got back to our house last night and I just was like, we need to go to the gym. <laughs> get back so, to the routine. Yeah. Just get back in a little bit of routine, but it was nice. It really was. Um, yeah. So I had a good time seeing family and things like that. Nice. Yeah. I always like feel so energized after this weekend because of that yeah. out and like eating really good food like three times a day, <laughs> you know, all the leftovers is like so mm-hmm. nourishing. Um, so I actually have a little bit of like spring in my step when it comes to running after Thanksgiving. I don't know what it is. Um, <laughs> it. <laughs> and Molly, you, you're out there with the magic sauce. Oh, you, yeah. Um, how was that? How was the Thanksgiving training away from yeah. family? Yeah, we, I couldn't go home for Thanksgiving because we're here in Arizona just starting our build-up for the marathon trials. Um, I did get to go to Sarah Slattery's Friendsgiving, so that was super fun. And um, Emily and I did a long run over the weekend, so our first long run of the cycle. So getting some work done. <laughs> whoop, whoop. Friendsgiving, those, uh, awesome. <laughs> I, I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to have my house uh, orderly enough. I don't know when that will ever happen in my life to have a little Friendsgiving. <laughs> my little 800 square feet might not hold that type of party. <laughs> One day I'll just get like an Airbnb and just be like, welcome to my house. I'm like, whoa. I just it. <laughs> it's cool here. Actually, snow today. So like the 1st of December and uh, I'm sorry to date this podcast now but um it snowed here and so it's starting to feel very very Christmassy indeed which is nice yeah gosh I love it so we have some really cool things coming up actually Molly we're really sad that we're gonna be missing you but Ro and I are gonna be doing a girls trip in Sacramento hanging out in California we're gonna be hanging out at CIM live podcast you guys live did did you guys hear that live recording in CIM next week so if any of you guys are heading that way please hit us up on social media because we want to know who's there we want to hang out as many people as possible have the chats (laughs) okay so live podcast CIM at the finish line come see us chit chatting it up with our special guests yes so that's exciting can't wait for a little trip to California I'm so jealous. I'll be missing out. Um, 
And Roisin, can you tell us about, we're doing a lot of Christmas shopping now, Thanksgiving's over. My favorite gift to give people is the Believe Training Journal. Do you have any deals for us? <laughs> Thank you, Molly. Yes. <laughs> Make that sale. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, no, I, there's a special um, discount for keeping track listeners if anyone's interested in any journal from the Believe Training Journal series, which is the Believe Journal the compete journal, the believe logbook, and um, you can use the code keeping track 2020 and that will give you 20% off. Ooh, ooh, how long is this code available for? Um, I suppose we'll keep it going till the end of the year. Woo woo. All right, guys, enjoy nice. yourself. Go and get those gifts. You know, you need to fill those stockings. Will it fit in the stocking? Maybe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they're great. Yeah, they're great for that. <laughs> I love it. So thanks. Sweet. Yes, they're full of great articles and cool quotes, and then you can fit all your training in there. So those are good for the runner in your family. I love it. I actually am in need of a new journal with my goals on the horizon of 2020. I'm, I'm able to kind of pretend to start thinking about something with this baby coming pretty soon. So yeah. I'm excited about that. Um, and can we talk about who week. our guest is going to be? Yeah, to this week's guest coming up is the one and only Emily Sisson. Woo-hoo. I'm excited about this. Molly, you can give us a little bit of a lowdown on what we could expect on this uh, podcast coming in. Yeah, talking to Emily was great. I trained with Emily. We cover a lot of miles together, but this was good for us all to sit down and chat. And we hit some good topics like um, how she handles pre-race hype and gets into the zone how she handles pre-race anxieties, how she went from a world-class junior athlete to world-class senior athlete, and how she has embraced her runner's body. Um, so a lot of good topics covered by Emily. You guys are going to – it was a delightful interview, if I had to say. Yeah, <laughs> and I 100% agree. <laughs> An endurance machine. So I'm, like, fascinated because I'm not. <laughs> um, so I just love, you know – hearing about how she gets into the long runs and um, into the longer training for marathon training. And I think, you know, I have my theories, you know, she reads a lot of books. She has a, a really great ability to focus. And I think that's like a huge part of it. I don't know. That's my <laughs> theory. On oh, it. yeah. I got uh, down a, a ton of notes myself. So, yeah, yeah you guys are going to love this one. Yeah, nice. she's so sweet. And one more thing. Sorry, guys. I just wanted to say thanks for your reviews and um, ratings. Uh, we're noting those. And we also wanted to drop our email address one more time. If you guys want to send us any requests or questions, we haven't done that in a while. It's ladies at keeping-track.com. Yay. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the interview. Thanks for keeping track. Okay, we're here with my training partner. You may know her, Emily Sisson. Hey, Emily. Thanks for joining us in person on the podcast. <laughs> Hi, Molly. Thanks for having me. Um, how's training going? How's everything going? <laughs> um, it's going pretty well. Um, we're, Molly and I are sitting next to each other in Arizona right now, and we're just getting ready to start our build-up to the marathon trials. So um, we have a lot of work ahead of us, but we're just getting into it now. Totally. When you when you're doing a build up for like a major race <laughs> like the Olympic trials, um, there's a lot that's obviously at stake. I kind of wonder, you know, what are some of the things that you 
do to keep yourself from overstriding, um, thinking about something that is relatively far away, but also relatively near, um, and something that you really, really want. And you know, there's only three people that make the team. Like, how are some things that, what are some tools that you use to kind of work towards not overstriding? That's, that's actually such a good question. My husband and I were just talking about that this morning and last night. So, <laughs> um, because it is like, it does seem like it's pretty far away still, but, um, but it's also not at the same time, like you said. And uh, I think especially with social media right now, every day you log on and today I logged on and everyone's like, we're a hundred days out. Yeah. And I swear <laughs> last week I logged on and people were like, we're, we're like three months out or something. I don't know. But, um, so it's being talked about a lot and it being an Olympic year, it gets hyped up a lot. So um, I think for me, not getting too far ahead of myself and not thinking about February 29th every single day for the next, I guess, 100 days, apparently. <laughs> um, um, and just kind of focusing, like I talked to my husband about the day I'm in and the week I'm in and just kind of checking those boxes. I think that can take away a lot of the anxiety of like thinking too far ahead um, or that comes along with thinking too far ahead. Yeah, I think it's such a good point you mentioned. I remember, I'm a little bit, you know, trying to make a couple more Olympic teams. So 2008, you know, when we were going into that year, they just had started a little bit more of trying to make these programs of like amazing awaits. And I just felt like there was so much pressure that was completely unnecessary because obviously we're like looking to do these sort of things. But I think um, programs are in place to kind of help motivate when we don't really need that. And instead it instills anxiety. And then like rolling into 2012 was like this whole thing. I remember I was at the Olympic training center, there's those Olympic rings everywhere. And you're like, ah, ah. <laughs> I think that's um, Emily, do you notice that? But like the way we approach trying to do a really big goal, like making an Olympic team is completely different than the way like the event is packaged like the event oh, is packaged like yeah the drama awaits like someone's dreams will be crushed <laughs> and someone ha- but like to us we're blocked like at least this is what I do I don't know is this what you do like you try and block all that out no, and definitely, you don't even yeah. think about the outcome you're just like I feel like that's what a lot of people have talked about yeah I mean it's I think good in a lot of ways and that they're generating interest and like excitement for the sport which is great that's positive but for the athletes in it <laughs> it can um it can be kind of anxiety inducing and I remember um actually Ro and I talked a lot about this um I remember when I was in Providence Ro and I would meet up um like once a week and kind of just talk about like strategies going into big races and one thing we talked about was when you're at like a USA's or Olympic trials kind of just like um, creating some space and almost like there's all this noise around you and um, all this excitement that people um, like are building up everything and to just be aware of it, but then also be like, okay, well, um, that's great, but I'm just going to kind of keep, I'm going to, maybe Ro should explain this better. <laughs> She's the one that like taught it to me. You had, when, did you, okay. when did you develop that strategy? Because you, I mean, yeah. there's to an extent, every big sporting event is like that and you've been it's good true. for a long time. I think, um, Going through the NCAA, um, you you have to learn how to handle that kind of pressure um, be, because it's just like, especially now with social media, everything's so built up and everyone's like, who do you think's going to win? Who's the favorite? Um, and I think Ro and I talked about it during my fifth year when I was struggling with that, like going into a race being the favorite or even after. Um, and I, maybe Ro, you'd do a better job explaining it because I, I know it and I can like... Yeah. Yeah. Do it now. I'm not gonna. 
explaining it. <laughs> no, it's okay. Yeah, no. And um, just to give people a context, like, yeah, I work with people around mental performance for sports. So, um, yeah, this is a, an issue that comes up. And, you know, especially something like the Olympics, everyone feels the hype, right? It's like a, it's a big money making machine and it everyone gets everyone excited, like you guys said. But the athlete and the performance have to kind of find this like calm in the storm. Um, and what I call like all of that media hype and all of that, like, you know, who's going to win, da, 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 the articles, the excitement, it kind of like the, the Grinch, like the noise, noise, noise. And the athlete has to kind of be the eye of the storm and just kind of really focus and protect their performance, um, which is running as fast as you can from point A to point B. And although the arena is, is more amped up and the, there's more of an audience and there's more of a spotlight on it. Um, what you're essentially doing hasn't really changed um, and that athletes can really calm themselves and their whole system down by really getting back into the process and focusing on their execution of that. I don't know if that has hey. I love Roshin, I have the storm. I love that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, 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 like I just so you guys know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think that's incredible. And I think one of the things I also I know I, I think a lot about this. I love the fact that um Roshin, you kind of mentioned giving yourself space, separating yourself. Um, but, but one of the things in the buildup that's hard is, you know, all the things from social media and being a part of social media and also wanting for people to tell your story. Um, and you know, that sponsorships are also wrapped up in your story. Um, you know, how do you go about interviews and maybe putting that buffer when necessary? Do you like have a block of time and where you, um, you know, protect your space and your time and your energy? I know for me, like I would, my family knew like time out. Like I remember I, I um talking with Nia, she basically said the same thing about her family. She said that before races, they know not to talk to her about um track. And that was the same same way with my family. When we go and hang out, I'm just like, you guys pretend like I'm like the best ping pong player. Can we talk about ping pong <laughs> or something else? Like so I wanna know for you, like how do you how do you create that space, especially when it comes to Things, you know, your story being wrapped up in, in your sponsors, but also wanting to get your story out there and having like a ton of interviews lined up as it gets closer and closer. Yeah, that's another really good question. Uh, <laughs> I think um, we, we do kind of prepare for the interviews, what we're willing to say and kind of get out there. And then the things we want to keep kind of private, um, like maybe like going into London, I didn't want to say like my exact goal, but I like kind of hinted at what like the ballpark would be. Um, but uh, for me, I let, like giving a little bit less makes me feel uh, more comfortable, I suppose. So um, I prepare kind of what I'm going to say in those interviews because it is important for the sponsors that you get out there and you say um, like what you're preparing for and what you want to accomplish. But then at the same time, um, knowing your boundaries and knowing what um, knowing what I'm OK sharing and what I kind of want to keep private and my family knows me quite well. They're the same. Like they know if they're my whole, like whole family pretty much came to London and they're like, we'll see you after the race. <laughs> they're like, we don't want to see you before. <laughs> um, but, and that was great. They, they definitely understand it. And um, I think that's just years of doing the sport and kind of like learning, but um, like exactly, I guess what your boundaries are. Yeah, exactly. It's good to have healthy boundaries. Yeah. For yourself, yeah. checking in your own energy levels and serving your role as an athlete or, you know, a sponsor role or whatever, but then stepping back into your 
you know, your own environment and like what charges you up for your race. And I think a lot of athletes struggle with like creating that boundary and sometimes there's guilt involved with that or yeah. other things. But kind of I really love appreciate you guys sharing your story and Nia too, that, hey, this is also a thing that professional athletes have to do and and not just high schoolers or college athletes. So thanks for that. Sorry to interrupt totally. you, Molly. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, Ro, would you say, so like Emily mentioned, um, and I feel this way too, I'm kind of the same way. I don't like putting big goals out there because for some people it fuels them. They're like, I'm accountable. If the world knows I want to go for this record or this win or this place, like I better do it. And for other people, like I'm one of these people, it just makes, puts the pressure on. I just worry more about, well, if I don't do it, I look like an idiot. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, would you call that? Um, part of the eyes off or what <laughs> would you want to explain that <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay so the eyes off I'm is... also the same way just to say that I also don't want to let anybody it's like for me I love that it's like my own treasure yeah yeah, yeah. And then I get to like if it happened like woo! <laughs> yeah you're like it's not you're like I knew I was going for it I knew I maybe could do it but mm-hmm. like I just yeah. didn't want to put it out there and if that empowers you then like that's the strategy you go with right <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. And what you I think there's something to be said about sorry, it's okay, it's okay. It, but <laughs> I think there is something to be said about though the energy. I mean, everybody does it different, but for me, and I obviously now that you guys are mentioning it the same way, like your energy, like being with track, like within it's yourself for you to use versus like giving it little pieces of it to everybody else. I feel like for me, it's more draining because now it's like, well, you said you want it, and you're like, ah, ah, like I'm finding ways for myself. I, I'm the one that checks in with myself 24-7. So if I put a big goal out there within myself, I know I'm checking my boxes. But then all of a sudden, now I feel like I'm taking care of everybody else and checking boxes for me and like mm-hmm. checking in on how I'm doing to achieve this goal, which is draining to me. Yeah. That's a good, yeah, that's how it feels to me too, just a bit draining. And it's not so much what people are going to think. It's more just like, I'm very, I'm probably more of an introvert and I just am more private. And so if I like share a big goal and then everyone wants to talk about it, like, I don't, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't want to be talking about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's going to be a little Yeah. And I think, you know, as a professional athlete, one, athlete, one of the most important things is having self-awareness and knowing what you need and what works for you. And, you know, like when you say, Molly, when I say a big goal, it makes me nervous or stressed. Well, that's not good for you then, right? As an athlete, we want to like charge up our energy before a race. We don't want to drain it, like you guys are saying, you know, by uh, feeling too many questions or talking about it too much. You're taking you out of your optimal performance zone, like with the eyes off that Molly's talking about. Um, so I think it's really up to the individual. Other people talk, like talk, talk about their goals on the field. It charges them up. They love the, the skin in the game and putting it on there um, and putting it out there. And they love that risk. But other people are like, no, like that actually feels too stressful for me. And I think, you know, professional athletes like yourselves, having that awareness and just recognizing that's not for me <laughs> and just owning that. I think yeah. Really yeah. And I think also just rolling into something like a big race, um, there are, everybody's looking for hype, like the journalists are all looking for hype. So the gold medal, and then sometimes it feels like you're a little bit of a loser when you're like, I mean, if it happens, you know, like, <laughs> uh, it's like they set you up for you to sound like you actually don't really care about what you're doing out there, mm-hmm. yeah. but it's just a way to protect yourself. Exactly. So for everybody listening, I, all of us want big things out of what we're doing. Otherwise we're wasting our time. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I did like an interview with, um, California magazine, my university's alma mater. 
and uh, my my alma mater, some of my universities, <laughs> my alma mater at Cal Berkeley, and I said something about, you know, how how one of my goals right now is to really make sure that I'm helping change the landscape of uh, women's sports. And she asked if I wanted to get back into running. And her comment underneath it was something along the lines of, you know, I was kind of disappointed in in her answer. You know, it seemed like a way to brush brush away all of the things that she's worked towards. And it's another woman who is letting go of all of her goals and dreams to become mm. a mother. And I was kind of, that was the one part of the article I was like a little steering about because mm. they don't understand your inner way of working through what you want to work through. Yeah. Um, and if I'm going to answer that question for you, it doesn't mean that I also don't want this, yeah. but I know that this part is important to me too. And it's not like, um, you can tell me what my goals are. You can assume them, but I think everybody all of a sudden, because they're your friends have these goals for you. And, um, again, it's like setting <laughs> you up for disappointment and disappointing them because they want these mm-hmm. things, you know? Right. So I mean, in the culture that, that achieve, <laughs> no, and in a culture that's achievement oriented, right? And we value that so much as as a culture that it, you know, you're going to kind of brush up against that when you're like, oh no, it's really important for me to like get my process right. People are like, oh, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. The outcome is everything, and you know, and actually holding the both <laughs> both of those things are true, and actually being able to say, hey, I do want this outcome, but I actually know the best way to get that outcome is to get my process right. And I think you know that there's actually space for two of those things. And then yeah. balancing that with being a professional athlete and like beholden to like certain media obligations. Right. It is important. It's part of it. And yeah. Um, yeah. it is a balance. Yeah, the real. Um so Emily, with all of this being said, you you have a little bit of anxiety when it comes to pre-race. You find ways to balance it. Um, and you're also very consistent. So like this goes to say that, you know, just because we experience these different things and you experience these, this, these different uh, pre-race nerves, you find ways to kind of work with it. It's still there, right? You find ways to work right. with it. But is there something that happens like where it kind of just dissipates and your energy is more reserved for yourself um, when the gun goes off? Yeah, no, once the gun goes, I feel like that's when like all the worries and everything go away. So it's like really just like up and I find the week of a race is when I might be a little bit more um, worrying about little things or a little bit more on edge than I normally would be. Um, So I definitely have tools and things I use to try to like work with that because it's not just going to go away. Like, um, I think like for me, worrying means I really care about it (laughs) and I want it to go well. Um, But yeah. No, it's something, it's honestly something I've had to work on ever since I started in the sport. And, um, and I do think I've become like, uh, better because of it, um, because I've had to strengthen that. But, um, I guess for me, the week of a race, like knowing what my boundaries are, knowing that is really important. And then just also taking some like me time, whether it's like to meditate or read a book or, um, I don't know, go on like a walk with my dog and and my husband, <laughs> like something like that, like just something relaxing and easy. Um, just little things like that. I find help, um, kind of can just take you out of that, like very focused, um, like tunnel vision, but I sometimes can get, did it ever get to a point where you didn't want to race? Like, did your anxiety ever outweigh the joy of racing or was it like, mm. you just know, get to the starting line and then you'll be okay. Or yeah, I mean, it, maybe in college, I remember there was like a year in my junior senior year. I was um, just like, I remember I was worrying about a lot of different things. There were a lot of things in my mind um, as you kind of 
get to the end of college, like what you want to do after, where you're going to live, like what's going to happen with your relationship, just all this stuff was going on. And I remember um, thinking at the time I wasn't enjoying racing that much. And I don't know if that like created more anxiety or vice versa, but I remember not enjoying racing quite as much at that time. Um, but um sorry I lost my train of thought <laughs> well, I think that's really common like especially in college when so much else is going on yeah, definitely. um but yeah just trying to keep it some like remembering the part of the sport that empowers you and that you enjoy and that you're good at it right. um doesn't get I think that, that kind of brings me to the point about like performance clauses and contracts and how it doesn't actually help an athlete's performance to me um I remember anecdotal I feel like we're like all girlfriends hanging out so there's lots of anecdotes over here um, <laughs> um the most I I like lost joy in racing was coming back postpartum in 2016 because I had this like dangle of well if you don't make the Olympic team like we're going to take all your money um and then it was like trying to take care of yourself you know in, threatening it, yeah. it's like similar to yeah. somebody trying to come back from like an injury or something like that you know mm-hmm. um but I felt like oh my gosh I just feel more anxiety into mm-hmm. every single race that I've lined up that I actually want to race a little bit less so I can save up the energy for that like the mm-hmm. bigger races mm-hmm. but I don't feel like it's helpful do you think having performance clauses within contracts that are like do or die are helpful um no so I think that's a good thing to bring up I uh, I feel like that's just kind of like business one-on-one, what we talked about in like business classes. It's better to have positive, um, I guess, reinforcements than negatives. So I would mm-hmm. rather start with like maybe like a lower base and have incentives. If you run faster, if you hit these times, then you make more than vice versa, starting with something higher. But if you don't run as fast or you don't make the team, then you lose money. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So that's just a little note for all you guys quit inducing anxiety. <laughs> yeah. Help us. <laughs> yeah. And the, the, awesome. like, it, I think it's, you know, I do think that's a skill though, managing this like threat that I'll get reduced with, oh my God, if I'm, if I try to perform when I'm threatened, it should sound my system and physically as an athlete, you want your system charged up and ready to, ex- right. you know, share, yeah. you sh- express your energy, not like you know, freeze. And so like really balancing those reality (laughs) things with actually, you know, how you perform at your best. And I think that takes some effort and takes some work. Um, And on that, Emily, just going to get back to your skill set, which is incredible as an endurance athlete. And you've really found your groove in the longer distances um, as your coach, Ray Tracy, our coach, my former coach. kind of predicted when you were even in college that, wow, I think Emily can be really good at the endurance sports. So marathon, half marathon. Um, how have you found that transition to the longer events yourself? And yeah, is it is it somewhere that you just feel more powerful or more at ease? Um, can you t- t- share a little bit more about that? Yeah, no, I think, um, well, thank you. Um, I do enjoy definitely the longer um, training for longer distances and racing them. Um, I don't know. I think I'm just a little bit more suited towards the half marathon and the marathon than maybe I was um, the 5K on the track. But I really do enjoy that training. I love my tempo runs. I love my long runs. And um, I think like focusing on my strengths and trying to improve upon those as opposed to trying to force something that um, maybe wasn't uh, like didn't come as naturally has helped me a lot. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, but yeah. Um, 
but no, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. So far, it's been great. So and for you. people who do struggle with tempo runs or long runs, um, yeah, how like what's you know how do you think about them or what what do you think about that out there? So I have people who really struggle with that or lose focus or you know can you speak to your process there? Um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well. I- there's a little bit of a delay. Sorry, could you say that again? There's a little bit of a delay. Than I am at like, okay. oh, no, it's okay. Um, so I think for me, um, I've always been a little bit better at tempo runs than track workouts. So for me, I had to like work on uh, mentally like preparing and executing track workouts. But uh, during during tempo runs, I'm usually just like excited to see like what my body can do that day. Like what I like, I'm excited for the challenge of it. Um, and I kind of just focus on each mile at a time and some miles feel a little easier than others. But, um, but for me, I just really enjoy being out there and, um, like kind of just pushing my body. And, uh, I, for me, I had to work on the track workouts. That was something mm-hmm. I had to get, like, I used to like dread them when tempo runs I'd get excited for. And now I actually do like my track workouts, but it, it took some, it took some time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and Emily, like, um, I know you did like a half marathon last year that was really fast and actually ended up being only a couple of seconds behind Molly's half marathon <laughs> American record. Um, not to cause any fights here at the moment, but um, <laughs> um, I don't know if a lot of the listeners will know that you didn't even wear a watch in that race. Um, and to me, that's a real testament to, OK, you were so in your body and in in the process of your race that you were just that led to your amazing performance um, and or contributed to that versus overanalyzing every step of the way. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah. So um, up until like a couple of years ago, I've never even wore GPS watches. Um, I kind of like just going off a feel. I think that's why I like tempo runs and long runs so mm-hmm. much. Um, uh, in hindsight, I should have worn a watch, but, <laughs> um, but I was like trusting like my gut instinct and just being able to read. All I didn't tell signs. you not to watch. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, I, that was a lesson learned, <laughs> but they normally do have like mile markers and they have like, they said they would have, um, signs saying like our clocks there. Um, but I just couldn't read them and either it was like too sunny or they were in like an awkward spot. And so I was just kind of going off feel and I mean, going off feel, I got pretty close to my goals. So. Is, is that yeah. what you did in London for the marathon, your marathon debut too? Were you into splits or were you just feeling it out and competing? The yeah, first just a quick, feel a it quick out. Um, yeah. for everybody to know, um, Emily ran in the marathon, debuted in her marathon this year and debuted with two hours, 23 minutes Ooh. and eight seconds and finished sixth in a stacked field. So this isn't just like, and you just went man in London. You kind of did a pretty awesome job. <laughs> and and it's almost so. the fastest American debut, right? The, yes. It was like, okay, so now I have to Molly's question. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's, yeah, the first half was definitely by a feel, but the second half, I like was glad I had my watch. And I like was thinking during the race, actually like some advice Molly gave me on the start line um she was just like just focus on like the 5k you're in and focus on getting to the next water bottle and so that's how I broke up the race in my head once we hit the halfway point because it really spread out and we were running on all on our own and (laughs) I found it like very lonely and a little daunting how much uh like race I had left so um Mm -hmm. then I started kind of looking at my splits and looking using my watch and just focusing on like each like three mile 5k segment I guess so funny story I told you that 
I remember yeah. telling you that because I was like, oh no, <laughs> like, like Emily looks super nervous. Like she yeah. looks like something's wrong. So I told you that, but I hadn't seen that, <laughs> um, like 10 minutes or maybe, I don't even know if it was 10 minutes earlier. You like yeah. fell yeah. <laughs> coming out of, you fell coming into the tent. <laughs> And like kind of hurt your knee. Like yeah. it was actually really scary. I didn't see it because I was putting my shoes on in the tent. And so yeah. that's why you looked so nervous. I was, and I was just like, hey but, kid, it's okay. Go just that. get to your bottle. <laughs> no, that's you were like, so like yeah, and you didn't tell me. You didn't tell yeah. me, but you were like, um, I like, am afraid I hurt myself. So like 15 <laughs> minutes before the race, I was just jogging back from the bathroom and they had this like carpet rolled out, like leading to the tents where the athletes were in. And there was kind of a bit of a drop off from like the walkway to just like the grass next to it. And I totally fell and actually banged both my knees like 15 minutes before the race. And, um, I wasn't super calm about it. <laughs> I remember I just like, like, I felt like it happened in slow motion. and then. I stood up and I was like, oh no, like, <laughs> yeah. um, but thankfully we, uh, our chiropractor was actually in London with us. And so he like kind of helped physically put me back together. And then him and my husband mentally, maybe <laughs> psychologically were like, you're going to be fine. You're going to be okay. Um, but I, I was pretty nervous and I definitely, it's funny. I remember before the race, Ray was like, look at your watch, look at your heart rate. Like, don't get above whatever number he said. And I was on the start line. I'm like, I'm already above it. Adrenaline dump, you know, when you know the panic of yeah. like that, like this, like, yeah. oh my God, and my body's like reacting to this and you're yeah. like, trying to calm yourself yeah. down. Yeah. Just so so I thought that was funny. Cause like afterwards the, the race went so well and I didn't hear yeah. about this until after. And I was like, okay, well, like, managed to get through that yeah. <laughs> so like what are the lessons learned in that whole thing you know like looking at heart rate my heart rate's above that you know yeah obviously I still ran not, 223 but I'm just saying all these things happen and I think that that's what people are expecting they think every time they yeah. are going for something that they really really want that the the pathway to it is straight and narrow um and I mean just listening to your your debut marathon I mean it sounds a little bit like a shit show to be completely honest (laughs) no that's one of the lessons I think shit just happens yeah (laughs) um and then you kind of have to do what you can I suppose I I did feel a little off the first like half of the race I felt like I was running with like a little bit of a hitch in my step and so I was like kind of like I remember two miles in being like oh my god I have like 24 miles to go and I'm like feeling a little off and so that was when it was good to kind of bring in those like meditation techniques and just be like, okay, like, just like, I pointed out the things that felt good. I'm like, your breathing feels easy, aerobically yes, feels fine. And, like, just focus on the mile you're in, just like keep focusing on like, it, like it might get better. And it did, like, I felt like I kind of evened out um, and felt more like myself once we hit like the halfway point. Um, it was just like mentally a bit rattling, um, but but yeah, no, I remember Molly being there and, and I wear my emotions on my face. Like people can always, <laughs> I know I was like, something's wrong. <laughs> she, Molly can tell like, and it's, probably cause like we know each other well, but also I'm just very obvious. <laughs> yeah. I love um, it. So that was like, that was when she gave me the advice and I did find that very helpful. Yeah. It was not world changing <laughs> advice, but I was just like, Oh no, it's going to be okay. Yeah. And it was. So the advice I'm picking from this is focus on the mile you're in and it doesn't have to be figuratively I mean it can be figuratively it doesn't have to be literally for yeah. all of our listeners um and <laughs> shit happens a little yeah, for you <laughs> and, and the thing and is you can just keep rolling with it yeah, focus roll on the with things it. 
focus on the positive. So like you're focusing on your breathing versus like, you know, maybe an ache in your knee. And I I think that's really helpful. And and that you didn't take yourself, you didn't take yourself out of something good that day still happening. Like you still were like, no, let's try and like get, keep this back in line. Like it still could be a really good day. Yeah. Don't take yourself out of it. I love it. Yeah. Um, so Emily, I wanted to talk about, um, this kind of ties into the discussion spinning off from the Mary Kane um, news story. It just brings to mind all the other, like Lindsey Krauss was saying, the other Mary Kanes that ha- have been so talented as, as young athletes and just don't make it to the senior level. It's a story I'd like to see not happen as much. Um, I think you're a really good example of someone who was, I don't, people don't really talk about how good you were when you were a junior. Like you were a very good <laughs> junior. Um, you were on the podium a few times at these world junior events, um, a Pan Am junior champion in the 5K, multiple-time footlocker um, finisher. Your highest finish was third there, um, and you have really fast times as a junior. You like were you were 1545 as yeah. a junior in the 5K, 444 in the mile. Um, what was your two-mile time as a junior? Oh. Under 10, 9, I 15. think I ran under 10 in a time, like, trial that was set up. I don't know officially what it was, like, okay. time-wise. Yeah. But you, yeah. you have been running. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. And, <laughs> and now here you are making senior teams um, and running world-class yeah. times as a senior, which is, it's just not something that you see enough of. So, like, mm-hmm. what, have you, um, do you remember any of those pitfalls that you avoided? Do you have strategies that you think helped you make it this far as an athlete? Yeah, I think uh, I think that's such a good question, and I could probably talk about it for a really long time because I think there's a lot of factors that go into um, the like I don't know I guess the longevity of uh, a career. But um, I think for me, I like and it sounds like easy, and it's um, but like I do think I genuinely just really love the sport, and so like for me, like running in high school and having some success early on, like winning like races and finishing the top three at Foot Locker was great. But I like also just was so in love with the process that even when I like mm. went to college and I was a small and I was like, like working towards my goals, even though I wasn't as successful then. Um, and I've, I've just always been like really excited about the process of it and really loved the sport. So I think that's part of it. I think switching things up and keeping it fresh um, by doing road races and um, like mixing up track and cross country in college. Um, I've really, like my parents were great influences on me. I think that was uh, really positive. I, there's so many thoughts in my head right now. It's hard. Did to... you, did you have to deal with many physical changes? Like, did you ever go through yeah. a slump where you felt like your body was catching up to you or something like that? No, I definitely did. I went through some physical changes my junior year. Um, I don't know. I should go into that as much, but um you're you're really healthy now I think you have a really good um like you embrace your strength as a runner right I definitely do it's something that I maybe when I was 17 or 18 I wasn't as like sure of myself and um comfortable in my own skin because I've never had like you know the typical runner like I'm I'm five two if I'm being like nice to myself and rounding up (laughs) (laughs) um and I'm like I'm very strong and it's something like I was always told um, growing up, like, oh, you don't actually look like a runner. Um, I probably look more like my mom who was a gymnast. Um, but like, and that used to bother me when I was younger. But I think with like age and maturity, um, I've learned to really embrace my strengths. And um, something that was like made fun of a lot when I was in high school is like, oh, you have big quads. Like that was always the thing that was picked out. 
Um, and I used to be really insecure about it. And now I'm like, yeah, I'm strong. I can run like long distances. <laughs> like, um, but it, it, it didn't happen overnight. It came with like age and I guess like maturity and, um, and I'm actually really grateful for my body now and what it's done for me. Um, and I think like my parents are a huge reason I've been able to stay healthy and have like a good outlook, um, on the sport too. So, um, and yeah, that's amazing <laughs> to just see to hear your kind of transition from like feeling self-conscious about that to be like, wow, I really love my body and really empowered in that. And just, you know, it's no surprise that your performances have also really changed in that time frame as well. And and if you just think of like that high school self of like, oh, my gosh, people are going to comment on my body and how that used to show up for you in races or where, like how how much did that come into your mindset then? And and now and versus now yeah it's something when I was younger it would bother me a bit more I remember at like a junior world championships we were in um I think Canada it was like me and two of my friends um were like sitting at a computer just hanging out in Canada and there was I don't think it was let's run but it was something like that where it was like a message board and there were people like picking apart all three of our bodies and for me it was my quads I won't say who one of the girls is because she's a professional athlete now um, and she's still uh, still out there. But for her, it was something else. And the other girl, it was like, um, like, I think her eyebrows or something. It was so random. People were just picking apart our bodies. And I remember at the time being like, oh, no, people think I look weird. <laughs> and, um, oh. People like, but like now, like I, I, I genuinely don't care what people say about me on message boards. I don't. Um, I'm not trying to do this to impress others or to look a certain way. Um, and so I think even if you're in high school right now and like a little um, not as comfortable in your own skin or a little insecure or have your insecurities, um, no, you're not like you don't have to always be that way. I feel like as you grow up, you get more confident and you like um, embrace your strengths and your perspective changes. So um, so now, like, I couldn't care what people say about me on a message board. But yeah. back then, I definitely did. Yeah. Wow. And that's such a positive wow. place to be um, in your body, you know, standing on the start line versus like, oh, my gosh, everyone's looking at me and I don't look, you know, look the part or whatever. Yeah. And now you're like, yeah, no, my legs are strong and watch out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, and it's it matters so much what I'm capturing is just like your who's around you, like your influence, your circle right. was so supportive. And um, I think that's just really important to that, that team installation and your team doesn't have to always be physically like the people that are running with you but your team can be who you surround yourself with yeah definitely I think also like growing up like I was thinking about this um when I was like looking over some of the questions like having like my my mom was such a good influence growing up and she never ever said anything like self-deprecating about herself or her body and I think having like such a positive influence like that um it kind of I think that was huge growing up like I'm one of four girls and we're all like very healthy very um comfortable in our own skin and I think like my mom's a huge reason because of that like she would never make comments like oh I don't look good in this or this makes me look thick she never ever would say anything like that mm-hmm. so that's amazing that's wow. important yeah. the influence yeah. of words so important mm-hmm. well thank you so much uh, Emily so the purpose of this podcast is to allow us an opportunity to better tell um women's stories who otherwise wouldn't be told or told the way that they would like them to be told. Is there anything um, in your story that you feel that you would love for, you know, the public to know or something that you would like to share with um, future generations? Um, I guess I just, these are a few things that I think about, but um, I suppose 
just knowing everyone's story is different and you don't know everyone's stories so um, or what they've gone through because uh, especially on Instagram right now, you only see like everyone's highlight reels. You only see all the positive stuff, but everyone has their challenges and their setbacks. Um, and like, you're not the only one if you're going through something. So I think that was really important for me to learn. Um, we all have our challenges, but um, at the end of the day, there's so much positive in my life and in this sport that like these little setbacks, um, that I experience, it's not like the end of the world. <laughs> mm, <laughs> Don't know if that every day sense. is an opportunity for a victory. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds better. <laughs> no, Motivational awesome. poster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bye Alicia. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I am so inspired, Emily. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast. I have so many notes here and they're literally just for myself. <laughs> um, I'm like loving all of this. So I, we really appreciate you so much. We're rooting you on. Um, we well, hope you enjoy you. your time with uh, our girl Molly over there in Arizona. Take care of each yeah, other. I actually want to know so what, do you, what do you have any inside scoop on Molly that you want to share via the <laughs> pod? <laughs> You're here, uh, Molly. Vice any... versa. <laughs> we know she likes um, donuts. <laughs> I she can think of something funny. No, no. wait. Actually, something though. I thought Emma brought up funny last. <laughs> podcast no I this is something else I thought about adding when you asked if there was anything I wanted to add um I thought something Emma said when you interviewed her about like the comment she made about Molly was something I picked up on right away when we started running together and I know it's awkward because I'm sitting right next to you so, um <laughs> saying nice things about someone could be a little uncomfortable but um one thing I wish like younger girls could learn is what I learned from Molly right away and um Emma was saying how she would like like other people's Instagrams or comment on their posts and say good job um, and like kind of just like building each other up. Um, that was something I noticed right when I joined the group, because I feel like in high school and college, girls are a little bit and guys, too, um, aren't as confident at that age. So it's easier to like look at like poke mm. holes in those characters and be like, oh, like they did this bad to make me feel better about myself I don't know if that I'm doing a good job explaining it but Molly's always been really good at like building other people up and saying congrats and they deserve it and that's something I wish I had learned like younger I guess and Emily I, we're kind of out of we're kind of running out of time um but yeah. we know I know you you have a dog that you love and we can follow him on Instagram. <laughs> um, and also another passion of yours, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, you're a really avid reader. And I just kind of give her, in, yeah. you know, this, you know, all the time outside of running. Is that one of your favorite hobbies is reading? You read a couple of books yeah. a week. Are you still on that Seven two weeks. books a week kind of schedule? Yeah, I just read three last week. Okay, My sister-in-law brought one over and, yeah. <laughs> and I read each book in like two days. I love reading. Um, awesome. I think it's nice having some sort of hobby, whether it's cooking or reading or I don't know, hanging out with your dog. I do that too. Yeah. <laughs> do you have any yeah, um, quick book support. recommendations for people before we um, leave? Something oh, I, you liked lately? I just read this really good uh, it's a historical fiction. Actually, it took place in um, Ireland, Row. What was it called? The, oh, is that no. the one Molly was telling us about? No, it was one Rachel told us about. Oh, I really Rachel, liked sorry. it. Yeah. Um, I can't remember the name of it. Oh, no. Do you have any that you we'll, have used we'll on running? We'll link it to the... Yeah, I'll remember it later. Yeah, we can uh, link it, whatever it is. Yeah. If you need a good running one, I thought Meb's was really good. Dina's was great. Um, 
I've read so many books. It's hard to like, I just can remember the most recent one I read. Yeah. And I just gave you context. Like I sent Emily a list one time of like a hundred books or something. And she like two weeks later was like, yeah, I finished them all. And I was just like, what? Maybe maybe it was like a month later. She was like, what? It was a list of 17 books. And I, yeah. Oh, 17. Okay. They were really good. (laughs) No, I do like to read. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. If there's anything else you want to share, um, sorry, I feel like we were kind of rushing you out here, but um, just want to okay. thank no. you for coming on and being supportive of the podcast. And I know you've been listening and really appreciate that. Can you tell us where we can follow your journey and all of your extraordinary wholeness? Yes, thanks for having me. Um, on Instagram, I am M underscore Sisson underscore. And on Twitter, I am M Sisson. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Good luck at the marathon trials. Thanks so Thank much, you. Emily. <laughs> we'll be in touch. Thank you so much. Thank you. Keep track. Keep track. Keep track. Keep Major shout outs to What Cheer Writers Club Podcasting Studio, a nonprofit supporting Rhode Island's content creators and where Roshin and I record, and to Rudy Nakashima for our funky outro song. Thanks, guys. See you in California. Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning, or have never even heard of paddle, or padel, as it's called in North America, this is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with the Pro Tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Vamos!